So imagine that, right? Not only from the buyer's perspective, but from the seller's perspective and how this thing could kind of drag on. And part of the issue, right, is I think we can all understand in the investing space, especially with real estate, like there's certain criteria thing and information that needs to be shared with the bank and, you know, personal guarantees and financial statements and assets and all that stuff. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Jeffrey Busho. Today we're digging into a recent deal that Jeff and his partners did in a car wash with an SBA loan. We dig into how they found the deal, how they negotiated the deal, all the time and back and forth that it took to ultimately get the deal under contract, And then we talk about the SBA loan that they put on the property, why they would use an SBA loan, what some of the upsides were, but also what some of the downsides were in terms of costs and time and back and forth with the lender and so much more. Really interesting deal. This was Jeffrey's first foray into commercial real estate, pivoting from a more residential real estate investing strategy. So there were a lot of lessons learned in this process. And today he's very kind to share these with us. I connected with Jeffrey on Bigger Pockets. I'm very active on the Bigger Pockets forum, and I thought you all would like to learn his lessons in this process of acquiring a car wash with an SBA loan. Great conversation. There's a ton of awesome lessons in this one. You're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of multifamily and self-storage acquisitions. If you're interested in learning more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcasts user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you're hearing my voice, that means you're not listening to us on YouTube. You're not watching us. You're not joining us on YouTube. And just in case you'd like to see the video of our conversations, we do post all of our videos, all of our interviews on YouTube if you'd like to join us there. All right. Once again, our guest today is Jeffrey Busho. We're digging into a car wash investment that he recently made using an SBA loan. Really interesting deal. We get into the weeds. If you're interested in buying, as Jeffrey puts it, an unsexy business centered around real estate, which is what he wanted to do, what he set out to do, then this is the conversation for you. Without any further ado, here we go. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to meet you face-to-face here on Riverside as we record. Before we break into the lessons around your SBA deal that you did, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Yeah. So Jeffrey here, I've only been investing in real estate for a handful of years. Really, we, we got our start in this space, business ownership, passive investing or passive income streams. A couple of years ago during COVID when we launched our our own salon company brand, myself and my wife together. For a, a long period of time, you know, I have some wealthy relatives and so I've, I've always been paying attention to what they've been doing. And, uh, you know, now several years later into my 
adult age and, and having a steady career and something that is paying a healthy salary, it's, it's time to pivot and, and put my money to work for me. And so we really started digging into a lot of the resources and educational tools out there. And then lo and behold, that, that yielded, you know, being able to buy some property. And, and now we're under contract for this SBA deal that we're going to talk about tonight. Awesome. Well, I'm really digging. I'm really excited to dig into this deal. I'd also love to learn about what you guys did, you know, with your your private, your brand and everything before uh, you started investing in real estate, really. But we can discuss that another time. So let's start kind of at the beginning, just to fill out the the listeners, you know, how we got connected. We connected on Bigger Pockets. You posted about this deal on the forums, and I thought, great, I'd love to dig into this with you and share these these lessons with our listeners. So. You know, let's start at the, I guess, the top and tell us about, you know, the property and how you found it. Then we'll dig into how the actual SBA loan factored in. Yeah, for sure. And this, so this, this deal has been in the works for like almost a year. And so I, I posted on Digger Pockets a while back when we first got it under contract. And so, so this, this deal, it's, it's a commercial property. It's a six bay self-service car, self-service car wash. And we had or at least I had, I found it in January, February timing earlier this year. And the reason why this property was so appealing to me is for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's in my backyard. So that was a, a huge selling point. There's not many of them out there that are, that are like new and upgraded and really have all the kinks worked out. And this would have just underwent like a massive rehab. The guy that bought it is a flipper, so he buys you know dilapidated properties and puts a lot of money into them and kind of makes them point for a century. And and third, it fit into this buy box that I had always wanted to get into, which is the like unsexy businesses that is tied to real estate. And so like, shout out to Cody Sanchez. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's she's got a lot of content out there that I really gravitate towards. And this is one of the things that she she pushes really heavily. And so I started to try and look for something that fit within what we could afford and still, you know, allow us to put our money to work and, and, and enter this space. So we found this property. Like I said, we found it back in February timing, made an offer on it, the seller declined, uh, made another offer and the seller declined. And then we made a third offer on it in August after it fell out of contract and then we got it. And so that is really what triggered this long and lengthy SBA 504 process that, you know, we're going to talk about now, but, you know, start to finish, we're looking at almost a year's worth of work in trying to get this thing under contract and then closed out between myself and my partner. Very cool. Very cool. So you made a few successive offers. How did you change your offer from one to, to three? Is it just price? Was it terms? Like, how did you tweak that? Yeah. So... We, the first one, the first time we offered it, I'll be honest. And I mentioned this in the, in the original post, it was pretty low. And I, mind you, this is back before we really started to see the Fed kind of take this aggressive approach to tackling inflation. And so things were still selling like at a premium. And so we came in, we came in at, you know, like $400,000 under asking. And I was hoping that, man, maybe, you know, maybe we'll get a shot. Naturally speaking, they declined. They had like several backup offers. The gentleman that they went with, they were good. He was a 1031 exchange cash offer. For one reason or another, they couldn't figure out the 1031 process, which is very common, right? I mean, you have to follow all the rules and the timing has to be right. And so for one reason or another, they didn't get it to work. Got a call from the broker like 45 days after they went under contract, was told that it was falling out. 
made a second offer. This one, I used a little bit more of the relationship that I had built with a lender. So in our first offer, we were introduced to a lender who was interested in lending on the property that had, that had been familiar with car washes before that was here in Reno. And so in conversation with them, really got to understand the initial behind the scenes of how this was going to work, uh, what they thought the deal was worth from a banking perspective, and, and then started to use more of the data that we were able to get from the broker to build a more solid understanding on the financials, the cash flow, and the net operating income. And so the second time around, we increased our offer by about 200 grand. So we went one, three. They declined for another individual who was going with a, a conventional loan. So they were going to go SBA, they were going to go conventional. That ultimately fell through, which I didn't think it was going to. I was kind of shocked when I got the call, actually, because their offer was the same as ours. We had two $1.3 million offers side by side. And this one's going to close, you know, 20 or 30 days sooner than the other one. So naturally, you know time value money and all that. But for one reason or another, the buyer backed out and I put a call into the broker and said, hey, you know, how are things going? What's what's the status here? Are you guys on track? And he said, everything should be fine. And then two weeks later, I got a call saying, hey, look, this thing fell out. Are you still interested? And I said, yeah, definitely. And so up to that point, you know, now we're, we got some, some updated financials. We're able to look at their budget versus actuals and try and gauge you know, what they were spending money on and, and how the thing was working out and issued or submitted a revised offer for one, two. So we came down a hundred thousand from our previous offer. They, ex- they accepted and that started the escrow process and us working with the bank and try to do this you know, SBA back loan. Awesome. I love it. And before, I, I don't want to keep pushing back discussing the SBA loan, but you mentioned getting updated financials on the property and you know, probably a few other factors that cause you to lower by a hundred thousand. Was it the updated financials? Was it interest rates rising? Was there any like one driving factor that was like, yeah, we'll, you know, knock it down a hundred K? As a combination. So we we looked at their 2022 plan. So they had a plan spend and, and revenue for the year. We measured that against what their revenue to date was and tried to understand what the variance there. They were underperforming against their plan. So that right there is was one red flag. Not red flag, but kind of just a warning sign. And then second, on the expense side, they were overspending on a few different categories to what they had planned for this year. So we were a little bit concerned about. And then third was the interest rate. So now we're in August, right? And one of the things that we'll talk about in this SBA process is how the SBA interest rates work. And so since the Fed started to do their their overnight lending rate increases, that then started to cause a lot of volatility in the bond market and the SBA rates are tied to the bond market. So we started to see this you know, massive uptick in bond yields, which was driving interest rates up on this loan package. And so from that perspective, we needed to really make sure that we can meet the debt service coverage requirements of the bank. And so in conversations with the lender, the broker, and every, all parties involved, really, it was like, look, this is the price that we have to offer in order to make this deal work. Everybody, I think, understood and was on the same page. And, and you know, with it being closer to getting close to the end of the year, buyers are starting to back out of the market. There's probably not a lot of interest or activity in this because everybody moved on. And so I'm fairly confident we were the only one that submitted an offer at that time. And there, there was really no one else, you know, lining up to buy this thing. And so it was pretty, yeah, exactly. It was perfect. That's great. You want to be the only bidder, especially if, you know, you've been through several rounds and they've had other offers and now you're the only guy left. Ooh, that's not a good sign. Maybe the next time you won't be around. So that puts them in slightly more of a a desperate situation. So 
Now we're talking about the SBA loan. And so let's dig into that. First off, SBA, Small Business Administration. But you know, beyond that, let's assume our listeners don't necessarily know why you'd want to go with an SBA loan as opposed to a conventional loan, all that kind of a thing. So why did you pick a, an SBA loan for this deal? Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of reasons. At first, maybe let me take a step back and say, so generally there's, there's two different SBA loans that, that we can work with here. Right? One is called a 7A. The other is a 504. The, the mechanics of both of those are a little bit different in that a 7A is really an open-ended, not really open-ended, but kind of open-ended in the fact that you, they can lend on just about anything. 504s, generally speaking, have to be tied to real estate. And so they are tailored specifically to real estate in general. And they are treated more favorably to the bank because number one, it's tied to an asset. Number two, it's backed by the federal government. So there's some risk protection in there for the bank that they really enjoy and like. And then third, you get the benefit of some some SBA lending rates, which are to some extent a little bit more favorable than you might get on a conventional. And so for the purposes of this, it happened to work out really well because of how we could package the loan. And from a bank perspective, they really liked it because it's less risky of an investment for them. It's just, and as we'll you know, as we'll talk about and learn, it's it's quite complicated. <laughs> So let's dive into that complexity. I mean, it, it takes time to close on a loan. Kind of sounds like the SBA loan takes longer than other types of more conventional debt. There's always fees to be considered. So you know, let's dig into the, that and talk about the the cost and time of doing an SBA loan on a deal. Yeah, and this was this was like the first thing that we went when I sat down and, and wrote out this list of things that I had learned through this process because I'd never done it. Full transparency. I've never bought a commercial piece of property before. I've never done an SBA loan before. So this is the first of those two things for me. And so we we own single family and small multis, you know, two unit here, three unit there. Those are fairly simple, right? You conventional loan, 30, 45 days to close, and then you're done. On the commercial side, you know, through research and investigation, we were anticipating, you know, maybe 45, 60 days to close is kind of a generally accepted principle. SBA, we were advised that we should and anticipate 75 days as the minimum. And so as we got into this process and we realized, okay, well, we, so we have a primary lender, which is the bank that we directly interface with as the buyer. They have an intermediary called a CDC, which is a certified development company that is the interface between the primary and the SBA. And then you have the SBA. So you have three different entities that all have their underwriting processes and their own individual set of requirements and documentation and all the things that they need to make sure that this deal pencils. And each one of those takes anywhere from one to three weeks, depending on how quickly we as the buyer can get information turned around to them, how quickly the seller can get information turned around to them. And so like we, we offered and we're under contract on August 14th. It's... November 22nd today, and we haven't closed yet. And so most likely we aren't going to close until probably the first week of December. And so start to finish, you're looking at, you know, a hundred days, almost two, almost four months. And so imagine that, right? Not only from the buyer's perspective, but from the seller's perspective and, and how this thing could kind of drag on. And <laughs> part of the issue, part of the issue, right, is I think we can we can all understand in the investing space, especially with real estate, like there's certain criteria thing and information that needs to be shared with the bank and you know personal guarantees and financial statements and assets and all that stuff. And um, that's all pretty static and that doesn't really change. 
But where it got weird for us specifically is how the primary lender, the CDC, and the SBA were aligned to create what was called the sources and uses of this loan package. And so there was there was some disconnect on each of those sides of how this thing should be broken down in terms of each individual loan element. And that drug out for like several weeks. And that really is what took a lot of time. And so for me, one of the biggest lessons learned and questions to ask at the very, very beginning, if I ever do another 504 loan is, who are you using as the CDC, the certified development company? How confident are you in their ability to underwrite this thing and, and proceed timely so that we don't enter into the situation that we just experienced where we lost like three weeks because these guys couldn't agree on what the deal was supposed to look like in terms of a loan package. It was just a nightmare. And there's nothing that we can do as a buyer. We were just kind of sitting there waiting for them to figure it out, which was, which was terrible. <laughs> so on these CDC certified development companies, it sounds like, okay, there's just more than one, but do you have any sway or input over what CDC your lender uses? Or is it a matter of talking to your lender? They say, hey, we use CDC, you know, number letter A over there. And you say, well, I don't like them. So I need to now find another bank to work with or can you kind of shop that CDC around a little bit? So we we learned that there are some there's some yeah. rules out there with how CDCs work. Don't know the nuance of it exactly, but it has to do with the location of the property. And so I th I think it's something similar to like CDCs can't cross state lines or certain CDCs can only do business in certain states. And so that means that you're limited to whoever can operate in that region. Now, you know, fortunately for us, there were like two other options that we could have gone with if we needed to. Ultimately, what we found out to be the root cause is inexperience on the part of the CDC interface. So there was a person that we dealt with at the CDC that was asking for information and was kind of like a loan officer or loan originator at the CDC. And they were not as versed in this space as we would have liked. And that is fundamentally what caused the problem. So... It just goes back to, I think, asking the question like, have you worked with them before? Have they done a deal like this before? What's your track record with them? Right. And, and trying to get ahead of that because this was a very difficult conversation to have with the seller and we had no excuse. <laughs> there was nothing we could do. We, we, all we could do was just say, look, we're so sorry. We're, we're doing everything that we can to try and fix this, but it's out of our hands. And that is not a position that I want to be in. Makes a lot of sense. Now, when you're talking about, you know, all these other people, these intermediaries, those guys have to get paid, right? They don't work for free. So that, to, in my mind, means there's going to be fees or it's just going to get more expensive. So how did that shake out? How did the fee situation wind up so far? It's expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive. So we, we didn't know ahead of time how the fee structure of an SBA 504 works. And, and one of the biggest shocks to us, to our system, is this, this fee that is charged by the CDC or the SBA. And in this case, it was like 10 grand, which you know, on a $1.2 million deal, it, it's not a little money. It's not a lot either, but it's a cost that is, it's hard to pallet in some instances, especially if we're cutting it close with you know, how interest rates works and our debt coverage and that sort of thing. And there's nothing that we can do about it. See, that's the other thing too that, that really sucks is 
a lot of these things that crept up that we were hit with, like these fees and how they, they handle the, the changeover of when the SBA steps in and takes the loan portion that they're backing and how those fees work. We had no visibility of that until it was really too late. And so, you know, unfortunately we didn't have to, we, it's not a cash out situation that we have to come up with this 10 grand, but it's an additional sum of money that then we have to pay interest on and it's part of the amortization schedule, right? And, and so we, we didn't know or weren't intelligent enough at the time to ask these questions because it varies, right? It varies bank to bank in terms of how they're able to structure their fees. And we were just given one option and, and we weren't smart enough or, you know, we weren't intelligent enough to like go shop it around because we were kind of in a time crunch to get this thing under contract and get it going. And so, you know, I would definitely like proactively start reaching out to different SBA lenders and be like, look, you know, if I, if I was to do this deal like this, what would it look like? Can you tell me about the fees? Can you tell me about the structure? Can you tell me about the timeline? That would have done me a great service in the long run because it would have been such an easier conversation to have the seller with something. And we'll, we'll talk about why that's important here in a sec, but we, we had to pivot a lot in this deal and it was really, really tough. Well, you know, I, I don't want to let that hang out there. Why is that important? You cued me up perfectly. Yeah. So we, we, uh, we've been under contract for this thing for almost three months, right? For almost four months now. Mm-hmm. And so along the way, we've had half a dozen things I can think of off the top of my head that have jeopardized this deal from actually closing. We had this. CDC underwriting issue. We had, you know, these these unexpected fees that were impacting the the debt coverage. We have now we have closing costs that came in way overestimated. We've had I didn't mention it in in the post on bigger pockets, but we have a license agreement in place that is a very very touchy subject with the SBA. And we've had interest rates that have gone through the roof that really caused a lot of concern on the bank side. And so we we've, we've had just a number of issues. And so each time that we have one of these things that we have to go back to the seller for, or we have to explain a delay, or we have to ask for you know some sort of support from them, it puts us in a really bad position because we just want like, between myself and, and my partner, we just want this thing to close. That's all we care about. We, we want it taken off the seller's plate. They don't want the property anymore. They want out. And so we have a vested interest to try and solve that issue for them. And then for us to benefit because we think long-term value is going to be there for us in terms of passive income and being able to leverage the property in the future. But every time we seem to hit a roadblock and we had to, okay, well, shit, what does this mean? Okay, we, we need to pull it here. <laughs> oh, you know, closing costs came, came higher than expected. So we don't have the cash to cover. So what can we do, right? And so for us, it has been extremely important to think very quickly, very critically, and very creatively in how to solve these problems. Because without it, I mean, this it's very simple. It's very easy that this deal could have been dead in the water if we didn't have some sort of quick reaction or, or ability to take a step back, breathe, and then put some logical thought into this thing and try and find a solution that was best for everyone. And I hope that the seller really appreciates that because ultimately it, it, we're, trying to, we're trying to solve their issue. They don't want this thing. We want it. So we're trying to solve, you know, collaboratively between the two of us. Hey, and don't forget that last time around, you were the only one at the table, or at least it seems like you were the only one at the table making an offer. Well, before we go to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, I want to ask about your your business plan. Are you planning on adding value? Is this just a buy and hold and let it cash flow? I mean, what's the strategy with the property 
you know, itself outside of the loan? What's your close? Yeah. So we, a couple of things. So we're, we're going to do some value add. We found some really quick and easy, immediate things that we can do to drive a little bit of extra revenue. And we've also found some things that, that have been happening that we suspect are maybe a little bit less efficient than they could be, especially on the expense and maintenance side. So there, there's some efficiencies that we think we can leverage that'll drive costs down, you know, several thousand dollars per year. And then there's a few other things that we think we can add that'll bring in, you know, anywhere from three to $5,000 a year in additional revenue. And so, you know, the long-term play is to hold, we're not going to see any, any massive, you know, value add opportunities, but we think we can add at least a hundred or $200,000 worth of value to the overall business. And then from there, you know, a few years from now, we'll probably refinance it leverage that money into something else and either buy another one or you know, bridge out into a different investment class or something like that. That's the ultimate play. And then I don't see us selling for the next while. Very cool. Well, I love the what you said early on about buying unsexy businesses centered around real estate and you know making passive cash flow that is nothing to seize at. So it sounds like a solid opportunity and a, and a great plan. I appreciate you teaching us about your process and struggles, if you will, through the SBA lending process today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Jeffrey, I got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? I am. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I had to think about that a lot. I think for, for me personally, so we, we have such a busy life, myself, my wife, my partner, it's been really hard for us to keep track of everything. And so what has really opened up my ability to provide more value and really leverage all the time that I have throughout the day from wake up to go to bed is it's pretty simple. It's just a daily planner. But I mean, that has that has been amazingly valuable to to myself, to to us as a family, to my partners. We've been able to just become so much more productive by just being consistent in terms of how we plan our days and time. Nice. Well, I mean, you hear you kind of in the past couple of years, you kind of hear people crapping on like to-do lists or plans along those lines. I love to-do lists because they give me like clarity on what I need to work on in any given second. So I don't get distracted by all the other thousand things I could be doing. I can prioritize make a plan and stick to it. So great. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. So I think for for me, I, I tried to stay away from classifying anything as the worst. My mentality has been to jump into these situations without really much expectation and use it as a learning experience. So for, for me, i I don't want to say that I have a worse investment because everything has yielded some sort of benefit to me, whether it means I learned something or if I lost money, like fine, whatever, then I can pivot and understand why, understand the mechanics, further myself, develop my skill set further. 
And so for me, I really try to jump into everything with no expectations and that thereby I, I don't have a worst. Everything yields a benefit in some way, shape. I respect that. You know, I think that's kind of the way that's, that's a powerful mentality and, and can keep you moving forward. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So this is, so this is a two-part answer. So the first part is consistent and intentional action is the key to success in my opinion, right? You have to, you have to be able to make decisions in a consistent manner and then you have to intentionally execute upon those, number one. And then number two, this is a saying that goes back to my childhood, my mentors, you know, people that really influenced my life. It's that luck is the intersection of preparation and opportunity. And so if you marry those two things together, consistent intentional action and going down the path that you want to go in terms of your future, eventually you will be prepared for the opportunity that arises and then you can execute. That is what people I think by and large see as what's considered luck. And so I think those two concepts for me have been extremely impactful in how I view the world and how I view everything that I do on it. I love that mentality. And I think it is so true. It Jeffrey, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all of these lessons with us. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. So for me, yeah, I'm not a big social media guy. I, I, I have a Facebook and an Instagram. It's just my name, Jeffrey Busho. Um, I'm happy to you know engage with anyone who has questions or wants to learn more. You can find me on Bigger Pockets. I'm there as well. You know Taylor, I can work with you, and I'm happy to share my personal email. If people want to reach out and they can ask me questions or just get a better idea of how this process has gone. My life's an open book, so I'm willing to share anything that's of value to anyone. So just you know, reach out and we'll chat. Awesome. Well, hey, that's how we got connected today, and that's why you're on the show. We we you know, reached out and made the connection and got you on here today. And I want to thank you for joining us today once again. Once again, And to everybody out there, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.